Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hollywood Haymaker Podcast. I'm Dustin Dubuque. Hey, welcome back. I'm John Hansen. And we are sitting here prepping for 2019, I think, right? Well, we're... We're in 2019, but I I haven't started yet. (laughs) I have, I'm not there yet. I haven't done anything 2019 related. I'm still 15 days behind on everything. Well, what do you got to do to prep for? I don't really know. I just feel like I'm not like yesterday I had a, I wrote, uh, I actually like for like the first time realized that I was writing 2019 on something and somebody congratulated me because I didn't write 2018. So I feel like that's a good first step that I was able to do a normal human function and write the right number. Well, that seems a little about you. <laughs> no, that's what I thought. Um, so yeah, we're back, and we have some, I think, some interesting movies, topics to talk about. A couple controversial ones that are kind of hitting Hollywood hard right now. And uh, I think we'll start off with uh, the uh, the new movie that um, neither of us have seen. But what's it called again? Uh, with Brian Cranston, Kevin Hart. It's uh, the upside. Upside, yeah. So I'll let John talk about why uh, why this is making the rounds right now. Well, yeah, I saw um, I saw something on the Daily Show with uh, Trevor Trevor Noah, and he was talking about how um, he was basically shaming the producers of that film for casting an able-bodied actor in a in a in a role. Uh, he plays a disabled. He plays a person in a wheelchair. Right. Um, and they thought that they should have cast a, uh, well, Tre- Trevor Noah thought that they should have cast a, um, an actor in a wheelchair since they don't have other opportunities. And, um, I don't know. What do you think? About that? <laughs> I mean, Here's I, my thoughts is, um, that I understand that it's, uh, it's a thing that people want in movies lately because, you know, it's, it all started with, you know, I mean, movies have been whitewashed. And this isn't whitewashing, because this is different. But movies have been whitewashed for, since they started. And it goes back to, like, the kind of thought of, remember that movie that came out about three or four years ago? You probably never watched it. I did, just because I was interested because of the badness of it. It was called Aloha. And it had Emma Stone in it, and she played an Asian woman. I haven't heard of that one. Yeah. And uh, Emma Stone is obviously not Asian, and has the biggest eyes like, I mean, like, if you're going to stereotype something, which is what everyone was saying, like, how does she look Asian? And, you know, that, that stuff that happens. But the, the problem is, and I think you mentioned this too, is it's hard to get a actor or actress that is, say, it's disabled. Or I even heard this not too long ago, maybe a month or two ago, about they should have cast somebody. It was a movie with somebody that didn't have an arm. They should have cast somebody without without an arm, like a real, without an arm, like, I feel like, I feel like a, that's a small talent pool. Well, that's part of it. And my thing is this, uh, no, they don't have to make a movie at all, but if they choose to make a movie and they want to hire Brian Cranston or whoever, maybe they're friends with Brian Cranston. Maybe they've enjoyed his work. Maybe they want to work with Brian Cranston. They should be able to make a movie with Brian Cranston. If that's what they want. Now, if they do decide to cast, uh, a, a person in a wheelchair for the role that would have been thoughtful, sure. uh, but I don't think that they should be shamed for not doing it. 
Name me a famous actor who's in a wheelchair. I can't. Exactly. That's part of it. There's going to be people that tell you, well, the reason why you can't name one is because they don't have those opportunities to to reach stardom because those roles aren't there. And when the, when that role does come about, they, they, they would like to have it. And like I said, that would have been thoughtful had it been given to somebody in a wheelchair, um, but not required. You, you can't expect it. Right. You can't expect it just because somebody's making a movie and there is a role of a character in a wheelchair that, that has to go to somebody in a wheelchair. They can cast whoever they want. It might've been based on the fact that they just really like Brian Cranston and his abilities um, they probably wanted to get somebody who's a recognizable name. For right, right. Say, say they did. Say it was they found uh, this actor who was uh, relatively decent in a wheelchair. And obviously, I mean, you do not know who he is. His name's Jeff Smith. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, upside, starring Jeff Smith. What do you think that that movie doesn't get made? Probably not. Probably not. Not with the kind of budget that they had for it. Right. Yeah, yeah I mean... Uh, so when it comes to that, I think those are those are really small, hard details to do in Hollywood. But then on the flip side, I guess, is what do you think about like movies that do, I mean, you know, this say like it's a movie where the role is, I don't know, say it's a true story or it's based off a book and the role is an African-American and then they switch the role and make it just a white person or they do cast, you know. Emma Stone playing an Asian or a Hawaiian girl when she's not either. You know, what do you think about that? Well, if you, well, that's two questions. The first sure. question was if if they take the role that was originally one one something, yeah, and they change it. Well, they do that a lot. In fact, they do they they take roles that were originally white and they turn them into black characters. They do it a lot in comic book movies. Okay. Um, Michael B. Jordan played uh, Johnny Storm not too long ago in the Fantastic Four. Um, I mean, I go on and on. Michael Clark Duncan played the Kingpin. Lawrence Fishburne played uh, Perry White in the Superman movies. I, I could go on and on. Right? right, and do you think they did that because of the fact that then people would go, there's a lot of white people in this movie? Maybe. I don't know. Okay. But my point is, it goes both ways. It's not just turning black characters into white. Uh, uh, right, sure. Go. So I, I don't... I think that I think that they should cast whoever they think is best for that for that character, regardless of skin color. And it seems like that's what they do. Sure, there might be there might be times where it was a black character. Now it's a white actor. Right, but it does go the other way too. Right. And then, so what about the other the other side so, of the question? Of- so having Emma Stone play a character that is Asian in the movie, I find that weird. It was. It's. I would think that would be distracting. It, oh, it was the whole, it was because, uh, you know, she's an Asian Hawaiian and, and, uh, she is, and then they cast other people in the movie that aren't, that are that. Mm-hmm. And then she, I mean, she stuck out so, like, I mean, no offense to Emma Stone either. She is like one of the whitest people, <laughs> whitest, actually, even her skin tone in general is a lighter skin. So it's just, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And it's, it's a hard point to figure out, like, how do you, fix that i mean didn't three years ago uh the movie theory of everything that was about stephen hawking i mean a person that uh oh i'll never eddie redmayne won every award out there for that movie eddie redmayne is not physically disabled in any way he's acting Hawking in the movie was not physically disabled for the whole movie don't they show him throughout his whole life don't they show him younger when he can he can walk it. Right. 
So that role would have required an able-bodied actor to play Stephen Hawking through the whole film. Right. Yeah, that's true. Is I, I don't know, I guess, in the upside, if he's able-bodied or if he's in a wheelchair the whole time. I guess I don't know the story of the movie. Let's assume he's in a wheelchair the whole movie. Um, I mean, I, I, I think I've made my point. It's just that they can cast whoever they want. No one... No one's entitled to that role. Right. They probably wanted a bankable actor, and since neither you nor I can name um, a, a well-known actor in a wheelchair, they probably wanted uh, right. Brian Cranston, who's very popular right now. He's been popular for the last few years. Oh, yeah. And you know the other, so I guess to segue into the other uh, big controversial stuff going on right now, is the other thing, it's just coincidence that in the upside, Kevin Hart's also in it. Mm-hmm. Have you been following any of that with him being the Oscar host? And then he was taken down like 24 hours later because of a tweet he tweeted a couple, like 10 years ago. Granted that, and now he's been on a, it's been a weird couple weeks for Kevin. I heard a little bit about it, but uh, I guess I don't know the details. Yeah. So he was announced as the Oscar host a couple weeks ago, you know, and I was pretty excited because he's entertaining enough. You know, sometimes the Oscars are boring and I was like, oh, Kevin Hart can be at least interesting enough for 20 minutes. And which is really all the host on them shows do is that like beyond that, what's the, there's nothing there. Um, so I was like, okay, whatever, that's fine. And then 24 hours later, a couple tweets come out where they're again, they're homophobic. They're not good. It's pretty much him. Like one of the tweets is like him saying that if his son is homophobic, he's going to uh, drop a, like a plant on his head or something. Not great. Was he, was he trying to be funny? Was no. it supposed to be a joke? No. They don't read like a joke at all. I understand. I think we like James Gunn's tweets are supposed to be a joke, and you know that they're just not funny. Mm-hmm. Where Kevin Hart's, if you if you do go and read them, they don't seem like jokes. They just seem like he just tweeted it. And especially if, especially if you take the time frame of Twitter back ten years ago, that was kind of what people just did Twitter for. It was like here's your Facebook feed of just you saying whatever you want to say, and so it doesn't read well. So then right after. Um, people, you know, the backlash happened like it does now. And about 48 hours in, he pulled out from being the Oscar host and he gave this really weird, like, uh, semi apology, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of said that he's apologized for this for numerous times. Uh, yeah. Uh, the only thing about that is, is, uh, the internet's a pretty big place and there's a lot of people with time on their hands. They can find out if you've actually apologized and he never has once. There's no record of him apologizing for this. So then it's like, okay. So he didn't handle that well. So then last week, Ellen has him on. And uh, he's talking about this. And like Ellen's saying, oh, he should host the Oscars. Which to me looks like Ellen speaking for all homosexuals. Which doesn't look good. It's like, oh, Ellen said it. Everybody's okay with it. It's fine. So and then I, so I watched it because now I'm interested. I'm like, I have to see what Kevin Hart said. He again reiterated that he has apologized numerous times for it, which I'm like, don't do it on Ellen, which was seen by millions of people. And then he, uh, he, he pretty much slandered the person who dug through all of his tweets. And I can't believe they dug, you know, that person attacked me and dug through all my tweets. I'm like, you don't have to dig through tweets anymore. I could Google Kevin Hart with another word on it and get your tweet. 
Like, well, they're they're made public. Yeah, exactly. And you're the one who tweeted it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't really know what you. So now he's officially done. He's officially out. And the Oscars don't have a host. They're not going to have a host this year or whatever. Um, it's just, it's just interesting because Kevin Hart is such a famous person right now. He has a movie coming out or out now, and I heard he was on like uh, ABC or um, Good Morning, you know, uh, Good Morning America or something. Mm-hmm. And instead of, you know, he's there to talk about the movie and, you know, the 10 minutes was all about the Oscars. Mm-hmm. And he's so, it's uh, it's interesting because you were up upside. And I'm like, oh, that's funny because the other actor in it is actually going through some troubles right now. So, Well, I'll say, I'll say what I said about, you know, you can make a movie and put who you want in it. You can also choose to not have somebody in your, in your program if you want. So if the Oscars don't want them, they have every right to say no. Right. They're the, they're the show. Yeah. If, uh, if people are mad, you know, I was originally right away, you know, I read the tweet and I did, I saw his mediocre apology, you know, and he probably could have had that job back if he was like, actually just, if you would have just came right out and said, okay, it was bad. It was stupid. Shouldn't have done it. I'm going to take down the tweet because it is not good. And I'm embarrassed. I'm sorry. Just ate the crow for two minutes. Mm-hmm. He probably would have his job back, but instead he meandered around the fact. Maybe. I, Maybe, right. No, people, not saying he would have. People loved it once they got somebody on the hooks, you know what I mean? Just just kind of keep them there and make an example. Huh? Yeah. And I mean, it's a good thing that Kevin Hart, you know, it always, I think comedians luck out a little bit sometimes because they can kind of chalk it up a little bit. But uh, I always wondered if it was. I, I don't know. I think, I think comedians are getting it the worst lately. I mean, I think some of the stuff that they're getting it the worst, but it's not like it's, uh, it's uh what's a good word. Comedians that are trying to make jokes are getting, Oh, they're getting bombarded like crazy for stuff that was supposed to be funny. They're trying to be edgy. That's their job. They're trying to happens. They're trying to be provocative. Right. And I mean, somebody gets offended. Well, that's that's kind of the line that you, that you're kind of skating. Yeah. And if you, and if you, and it's, it's like any comedian who has told a bad joke, you just don't tell it again. You'll know when it's a bad joke. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you hit the joke and you realize, Ooh, that maybe wasn't good after I said it and how the crowd reacted, you cut the joke out. Right. But now, you know, what the way it's cell phones and stuff are now, you yeah. can't cut the joke out anymore because everybody knows the joke happened. Right. And even then, uh, you, you you still want to go, it's still a comedy show. Don't don't listen. Don't be here. Like, if you, I, I agree. That's a whole other side tangent. But, yeah, it's it was interesting that the whole Kevin Hart thing, and, you know, I mean, maybe it helps that he is, is, is so famous as he is right now. But um, to kind of, I think he's going to survive the wave. A lot better. I mean, again, he just tweeted something dumb. There's people that do a lot worse things. I think we can get over it. Um, so I guess the couple other things we had to talk about. I have kind of a fun conversation to say after we talk about Coming to America 2. Officially announced right. and greenlit with the director and Eddie Murphy back. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be called Coming Number 2 America? Yeah, Coming 2. Or Coming Back to America. Those are the those you are the know it's going to be coming <laughs> to with the nu- with the numerical number. It has to be right, right, and just huge on the cover art, just that big two with coming to America. Right. Um, I saw that the director is the director from Hustle and Flow, is what I heard today. Um, which I didn't think was a great movie, and um, and Eddie Murphy's back, which is apparently the selling point solely that Eddie Murphy is back. Well, you'd have to get Eddie Murphy. You couldn't make it without him. Yeah, you know, and Eddie Murphy has done a smart thing where he, the last, what, 15 years, 20 years, 
probably Cincinnati professor stuff, you know, he kind of put himself off the market. Like, you know, and when he shows up, it's kind of a big deal because he's not around a lot. What? Where do you see Eddie Murphy a lot? In kids' movies. How long ago? I don't know. Probably mid two thousands. How many? There was, there was Norbit. There was. Yeah, Norbit was what two thousand five. I don't know. I mean, last ten years. How much have you seen Eddie Murphy? I don't know. I haven't really been because I even remember when SNL hosted what their fortieth anniversary was three years ago, and Eddie Murphy showed up, and people were like, "Oh my gosh, Eddie Murphy's there!" Like that was the seller. Well. Because that was Saturday Night Live, and he had been away from that for a long time. Saturday Night Live is a show for, you know, kind of like up-and-comers. He's been doing movies and TV shows and stuff. So he hadn't been he hadn't been there in that, in that amount of time. But I think he's been making movies. I think he's been mostly making kids' movies. I mean, I don't know what he's been in lately. I, I kind of stopped following him just because of the, the movies he's been making. They haven't really interested me. Right. But I feel like I see him in stuff. Um, there was a couple Nutty Professor movies. I mean, so if you take out Shrek... Which right. he's a voice actor in. The last movie he was in... Oh, he did a movie in 2016 that was straight to DVD. So let's take that one out. The last movie he was in that was in theater was 2011, Tower Heist. Tower Heist, yeah. So that was that. And then before that, it was a couple Shreks, all Shrek. 2007 was Norbit. I guess I didn't notice he was gone. I didn't miss him, apparently. What are you talking about? Daddy Daycare, I Spy, and uh, Adventures of Pluto Nash? Right. That's the kind of stuff. That Man. I actually did like I Spy, but mostly because of Owen Dr. Doolittle 2, Nutty Professor 2, Bowfinger. Right. He had a rough go there. Hoofda. Yeah. When you say them out loud, it's yeah. not great. Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that just didn't interest me. So does this interest you? Uh, coming to America? Um, nah. No. Yeah, me either. I'm good. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't I, have it either. I enjoyed the first one when I, you know, when I was twelve or whatever. But yeah, that's probably the last time I've seen it. Yeah, same here. I haven't seen it since. Why would you? I uh, no yeah. interest. Um, so so then the other thing I kind of uh, and I found this tweet that I thought was interesting and in the kind of stuff that we talk about on here. So again, so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was just re rebooted, booted, mm-hmm. and now they're rebooting it again. They're rebooting it again. That's what I read. Rotten Tomatoes dropped that yesterday. Okay. So that made me think of the word rebooting and stuff. And it was just coincidental, a film critic that I like a lot, uh, William Bibiani tweeted this. A remake is telling the same story again with minor differences. A reimagining is telling the same story again with major differences. Reboot is ignoring a franchise's canon and starting over from scratch. And then soft reboot is a new direction for a franchise that doesn't contradict the canon. So, um, so then that made me think of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles just because they said it. So if they're if they, if you go off that, then a reboot is something completely different. Was the original two or the last two that came out? I didn't see the first one. I actually saw the second one. Um, I thought the second one was a little bit better than the first. That's one. why I watched the second one. I mostly watched the second one out of curiosity, but I did kind of enjoy it just because of all the characters they brought in. Yeah, like Krang and. Uh, Bebop and Rocksteady. Bebop. I, again, and honestly, because I'm a WWE fan, I only watched him because a wrestler did uh, one of either Bebop or Rocksteady's voice. That was the only reason why I watched it. Yeah, it was Seamus. Seamus. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, I so I was and I did hear the second one was better. Uh, the first one, I, I thought, even the, the trailer I saw, I thought it looked ugly. I thought the turtles looked ridiculous. And then the and then the reviews came out and people were like, "This is not good." 
So I was like, yeah, good. I do not need they're, to. They're see not. This. They're not great movies. Not. I was a big fan of the cartoon as a kid, and yeah, me too. These are the movies are, are fairly childish. They're they're I think eight uh, young. I thought the second one. I heard the the first one's a little darker. The second one, they really just went for it. They're like, you know what? If the adults ain't gonna like it, you know where we can get the kid crowd. Because I thought the second one was. If I was twelve, yeah, I'd have probably loved it. Oh yeah, that's what they're aimed at. Is totally. young kids. I thought both of them were kind of aimed at young kids. Sure. So if they do reboot and start over from scratch with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles again, um, what do they do? Not make them look like I roided mean, out monsters? I'll tell you what I would do, but they're not going to do this. <laughs> but I mean, seeing as I'm an adult now, I would love to see them go hard R, just super violent. And uh, just have the turtles. I mean, Leonardo just gutting somebody with those. Gosh, but that is ridiculous. They're not going to. You hear what you're saying? Turtles are going to start. That's what I'm saying. You got to embrace the ridiculousness of it. It would be a cool. It would be a cool, like uh, violent, crazy, weird action movie. But they want to make it kid friendly, so they're going to keep going with the PG-13 stuff. Well, and that's always what they've been, though. I don't know if there's ever been a time where I've thought Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles weren't. Totally geared towards at least the younger crowd. Well, I think the original comic. Okay. It, when they very first debuted in the comic books, it was a real small independent comic, and I believe that was aimed more at adults. It was more violent. Okay. So. Yeah, because I, I mean, I don't know how. Uh, gosh, even I would say I almost think I would look at that and go, "Oh my gosh, I can't watch turtles kill people." But I maybe would. I would. Maybe I'd go, "Okay, sure." Better than if I saw this again. Here they go. Here they go again. They ordered pizza and it came late. That's funny. Oh, I got it. I know what they do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe I fully... Uh, it's a lot of fart jokes in these movies. Oh, uh, jeez. So, I just can't believe that they're doing it again. That's uh, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I was going to do Golden Globes, but I don't care. Um, so... I was told by you in a text to prepare for this episode. So there's one movie we watched together that came out on DVD this week called Mid Nineties that I'm supposed to jot down some of my nineties memories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of went random. I hope we weren't just aiming at media stuff. I went with like some other things too. Oh no. Okay. Good because my my list is random, so we want to share because yeah. the the reason why I think this is good. I'm sure this is why you thought of it. The first like three minutes of Mid Nineties. Is a nostalgia mind explosion. Yeah, let's talk about the movie first. Okay. So, Mid 90s is a movie that just came out on, on DVD recently, and it is written and directed by Jonah Hill, who you, you might recognize as a comedic actor, but um, I guess he's trying something new. He wanted to make a movie, and he, and he wrote and directed this movie. Very small, independent film. It's called Mid 90s. Um, <clears throat> it's basically about this young kid growing up in the, in the, in the 90s. And um, he's kind of got like an abusive older brother. and A terrible older brother. Yeah. Just a terrible kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, his older brother's like 17, and uh, he's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> he's a terrible person. Yeah, he's got a brother that beats him up and stuff. And um, he's trying to fit in with some kids that are a little older than him. The, the kid in the movie is, what, 12 years old? Yeah. And... He's trying to fit in with some other kids that he thinks are, are the cool kids, you know, and they're a little older than him. They're not very responsible. They introduce him to drugs and alcohol. They do a lot of skateboarding. Um, they nearly get him killed. Yeah. Great several scene. times. Great scene. <laughs> several times, yeah. I was um, thinking of the first one, but yeah. 
so very irresponsible. Um, oh yeah, it's well, and you got in the first you know little bit, you kind of see that he's you know he's twelve, he's a boy, he's going yeah. through a weird time where he's trying to figure out you know who he hangs out with and who his friends are, and one thing he sees are these kids causing havoc outside of a storefront with their skateboards, and he immediately goes, "I need a skateboard in order to hang out with these guys." Right. Little does he know that each one of them is a duck. Like, cause those are some weird kids, but they're kids. So it is what it is, but yeah. Um, it's, it's a fairly dark film. Yeah. At points. Mm-hmm. I, I will tell you one that the, the, the lead actor, um, I have his name written down cause I, I think he's relatively new. Sanjay, uh, Sonny Solji, I think is how you say it. Mm-hmm. Plays Stevie, the main kid. He is one of the, he's adorable. Like, as it's just a person. He's, he's a cute little kid for 12. So he is perfect in this role. Just like, when he's just happy and smiling, I'm like, you got it. It's mm-hmm. okay. Like, you have a movie star future, I think, ahead of you. Perhaps, yeah. Yeah, I, so. I, I thought so. I thought he was uh, I thought he was a perfect little casting kid for this. Yeah, he's done some other stuff. He was in um, House with the Clock in the Walls. Oh, was he? Yeah, he had a, he had a uh, I know he was, supporting role. Okay, he was the younger one in Killing of the Sacred Deer. He yep. Was, um, yep, he was the young one in that. Yeah, and he's also in a video game, God of War, the new one. Oh, is he? He does the voice of Kratos' son. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, he's cute. I had to look most of this up. Sure. I didn't recognize him as Kratos' son in the game. Oh, I've, I've played not. the game, but sure. you wouldn't know. You know, you wouldn't know. So. Right. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a fairly dark film. Um, to be honest with you, not the kind of film that I enjoy. Uh, I think it's a well-made film. I think Joan Hill did a good job directing it. Um. But I, I like to be entertained by movies, and this to me, this to me was a very dark film. Um, you know, it's called mid '90s, and for me, it it did not represent the '90s, not the '90s I remember. I think of the '90s as a much more positive time, um, and that's why I kind of wanted to talk about some of my favorite '90s memories. Okay, and I asked Dustin to do the same because I thought I was hoping going into this movie being called mid nineties, I was looking for a movie that was going to celebrate the nineties and they kind of did in the, in the very opening of the movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. The first four minutes are just like, how many ways can we tell you that this is the mid nineties? I mean, yeah. he, they hit a lot of, a lot of things quick. Yeah. The opening shot, the camera kind of pans across, um, the kid's bedroom and there's a, there's a Hulk Hogan pillow pal. Yeah, there was. Um, I own that. It's fine. I had one. I had five pillow pals. Yeah? Yeah, I had Hogan, Warrior, Bret Hart, Ted DiBiase, and one other one. Oh, man, I love I had things. Hogan for sure, and I might have had one more. Oh, man. But uh, Pillow pals were they the were, best. Yeah, they were pillows that were shaped like wrestlers. Oh. You could do whatever you want. You could beat them up. Or oh, whatever. that was great. Um, so there's one of them in the shot. There's He's got a Ninja Turtle blanket on his bed. There's a Super Nintendo controller laying there. Um, it's really cool. It really kind of brings you back to the 90s really quick. And I got really excited in that opening of the, the opening of the movie. And I thought we were going to be treated with a lot of that kind of nostalgia. But um, unfortunately, the, the film really kind of went dark. And um, for me, the story, I felt like it could have taken place during any decade. The story of a young kid being corrupted by um, some older, some older irresponsible kids. I mean, you could tell that story and have it set today, I think. Sure. Um, so, so yeah, so we get treated to a little bit of nineties nostalgia. Was there any other that you caught of nineties stuff? Yeah. I mean, there's random things throughout. I mean, 
I thought, I mean, just like the, the one thing I wrote down and it was cause it was in the movie. And then I thought about it was like, you see the kids shooting each other with super soakers outside. Oh yeah. Super. Soakers. I was like, Oh, super soakers. Yeah. Love super soakers. But, um, and the reason why I didn't mind the fact that it wasn't up here in 90s nostalgia trip. So I guess we can, uh, tie this in just cause of the conversation we're having, um, with ready player one. Yeah. And that was why people didn't like ready player one is because it was a nonstop nostalgia trip. Yeah, I thought people did like it. Oh, I know a lot of people that didn't like it for that. They're like, we don't need a movie just to tell us the 80s was fun. I honestly wasn't in love with Ready Player One. I was fine with it. I thought a lot of people liked it. For me, it was just kind of like, hey, look at all these characters. But they didn't do anything. They were just sort of there. Like, Batman walks by. That's right, like, that's what they. That's all it was. was just like, hey, here you go. Like, yeah. here's, here's, here's uh, Marcus Phoenix from Gears of War in the background. Cute, huh? You're right. They were just kind of there in the background and stuff. And right. It, it was neat, but I mean, it, it wasn't enough. There wasn't enough substance for me to want to watch the movie a second time. Right. The plot was very thin. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, I, I was just, a, that's just a side conversation um, about it. I, I don't think it's as, I mean, I don't think it's as dark of a movie as, as I think you're making it out to be. I mean, they're, that, they're skateboarding super, the first half. That Super Nintendo controller that we saw in the opening scene later uh, the oh yeah, that part to strangle is, himself. Well, and and I think that's where they they don't tell you a lot about the family life, and you only get the snippets. You see that you have a mom who's does her own thing and kind of lets her sons do their own thing until it you know gets bad because they they don't really t- tell you besides I think one scene why the brother is the way he is, and then there's the scene where they're chasing him through the house, and I think the brother kind of has a breakdown, and then you realize that I think the brother has something. Uh, obviously not clicking um to make him so mad about certain things so fast yeah and this is all the, the darkness i'm talking about yeah and then but uh, but then you got the but then you got the other parts of the kids hanging out becoming friends and doing but they were most, not good kids that he should have been coming friends with he almost died. one of the kids is good the lead skateboarder you know he's kind of telling him i think he hangs out with a bad crowd but the one with the long hair yeah they gave him drugs no the other one no uh, that's, uh, fuck shit. And I could say that cause that's the actual character's name in the movie. Um, no, it's not him or fourth grade. It's the, uh, the lead. The member, he has the conversation. He's like, those are the two best skateboarders. It's the one that's the better. He's the one that talks to the pros that are at the, um, thing. I guess I don't remember. To me, I looked at those kids as kind of a group, and it was not a healthy group. No, they weren't. Overall, they weren't. I mean, you had the, you had the one with the long hair and then the, uh, the one he originally befriends that gets jealous because he's not liked as much. The younger kid. Yeah. Uh, those are, yeah, those are two bad kids, but the other two, do you have the other kid that's a little slower that just videotapes them doing everything? Oh yeah. That fourth guy. grade, you know, but they're mean to him, but he likes, they're all together, whether they're friends or not, because they skateboard. That's really why. Cause even at the end, there's a big implosion of their friend group of, you know, why they don't even like each other really. But guess what? They skateboard together, and they're the only kids. Even though then they go to a spot in the movie where they're skateboarding with, like, 300 other people. Like, that was my first thought in the movie. I'm like, because uh, I did have that thought. I'm like, these guys aren't really friends, but they're friends because they're the kids that skateboard. And if nobody else is skateboarding, you just kind of got to do what you got to do. Um, but then I then there was that scene where they went to the place, and there was just tons of people skateboarding. I went... Okay, you can find new friends. There's a lot of people skateboarding in the area. Because that was my that was my first. Because didn't you ever have that like as a kid where you you hung out with a friend just because like they were maybe the only interest you had? Um, I mean, when you 
if, if looking back, I mean, that might have been kind of why the friends I had were the friends I had. Is we did share interests. That's yeah. I didn't think of it that way at the time. Yeah. I mean, we, well, right, and they are, and that's why I think he's not either. He's just saying, like he. I think he falls in love with like skateboarding because it makes him cool. Because he's also way younger, so he's twelve. He's pretty. Uh, I think the manipulation factor's there. Um, but like, I mean, there's a friend, and I wouldn't call him that. He's not a friend, but there's a kid I I, I knew in um, school, and even in middle school, we were friends because we were the two kids that liked music that nobody else liked, mm-hmm. and we didn't even like the same music. But our music was he, like he liked really hardcore rap. And nobody else listened to that. And I like death metal. And nobody else listened to that. So we literally would hang out and listen to each other's music because we're like, all right, we're different. We don't even like each other's music, but we like it enough to know that nobody else is listening to it. So we'll go to the CD store together, which is what we used to do. Other than that, we were not friends. I mean, we were we hung out. We were acquaintances. But um, I wouldn't say like me and him would ever consider each other best friends. So I, I just thought that that part was interesting. But um, yeah, you know the thing in movies that I'm starting to like less is when it's always loud, when the kids are always loud, constantly yelling, constantly talking over each other, which is real life. I get it. But at points, I'm just like, I'm, I get drained by that. And I've seen that in movies like the last couple of years where it's just like, we got this group of people and they're all kind of crazy and they just yell and talk and go for it. I'm like, give me a chance to breathe. And don't they shut up? Like they have to shut up, right? Apparently not. Oh, apparently not these kids. Because by the end I was like, oh my gosh, can't be around these kids anymore. I'm like, these are... And it wasn't like they were so bad that they were the worst kids on the planet. They were just little, they were just irritating kids. Maybe that's us being older, and we're not, but yeah. So overall, did you like the movie? I thought it was fine. Was I didn't fine. dislike it. I thought I thought he was... I, I think he's cute and good little actor. And I, I also like... Uh, I never remember names, so I said to remember. Lucas Hedges, who played his brother. He's been in a lot of stuff lately. Um... He was in like Manchester by the Sea and uh, um, uh, uh, Three Billboards Outside Abbey, Missouri. And he's been in a lot of movies. I like him. I, their story wasn't really fleshed out all that much besides when he was mean to him. So. And yeah, then for, has the not good payoff at the end. For me, it was just kind of a depressing movie and not the kind of movie that I enjoy. Yeah, I, see, and I don't, I don't. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to sit through it again. No, I have no, I have no need to sit through it again either. Yeah, and I don't mind depressing or sad or anything, but uh, there has to be a little more substance, and I think the substance maybe isn't, isn't there. But hey, you know, I was hoping for something that was going to celebrate the '90s and show it as a really positive time. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about some of my favorite memories of the '90s. Sure, and Let's do Justin. It um, so I'll just, I'll start with one. When I think of the '90s. I think about the fact that there was no internet yet. Sure. And, but I don't think of that as a bad thing. Like today you would probably think, you know, because we're used to, we're accustomed to it. You think, how would you survive without, if the internet got taken away? Right. But before it was invented, we didn't miss it. Right. You know, what was invented just wasn't in every household. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know, I think we got the internet at my house, like, Later in the ninety, probably late nineties or something. Yeah, I think it came into ours. If I had to take a guess, probably like two thousand one or two thousand two, early two thousands. But for for me, much of the nineties was spent without internet. But um, it made certain things uh, more appreciated. I think. So, say for example, I, I play a lot of video games, and I remember secret codes used to actually be oh, secret man. codes. Secret codes. Um, nowadays, you can go on the internet, you can find out every single secret that a particular video game has to offer. But back in the day, 
um, you would hear a rumor that maybe there was a way to unlock a certain character. Right. And if maybe you knew a guy that knew a guy that had the code. I mean, it was a big deal to track down those codes, you right. know, piece them all together, start making a little bit of progress in the game. Or the fact that you actually purchased a strategy guide. Like, strategy guides were worth something because of you couldn't find out what was in this game unless your friends told you. Or you actually had a strategy. That's the reason why when you ever, do you ever go to a game store and they're like, do you want the strategy guide? I'm like, why? Right. Why would anybody buy this thing? Today. Today. It's called you YouTube. Yeah. Everybody's put it on there. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we've all probably been, a, we've all probably fallen into the trap where we can't figure something out. And we've literally went on YouTube and we're like, okay. But yeah, no, I agree. Passcodes are great. To go off that, I uh, um, the 90s was uh, in 64. That was my game. I didn't want to yeah. put a bunch of games on here, but if I had to pick one thing, the 95, 96, when that came out, I mean, yeah, I love the Super Nintendo and stuff, but man, that N64 with Goldeneye and Mario Kart. I had the Sega Genesis. Could it be? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was one of the only game consoles I never owned. My wow. friend had one, and I used to love playing Road Rash on it. I had Road Rash. Love um, Road Rash. I had the Sega CD attachment to it. We would play the discs, and some of the games that were released on Sega CD still to this day have not been re-released. I'm still looking for, uh, well, they did finally re-release Night Trap, but I'm still looking for re-releases of Sewer Shark, um, The Legend of Tully Bodine, and uh, uh, Tomcat Alley. So Tomcat if there's, Alley. Any, if there's wow. any video game producers out there, listen, <laughs> put those out, please. Uh, we need a re-release. <laughs> What else, what, else, what other fun stuff from the nineties you got? I I remember loving going to garage sales. And you still can do that though. Yeah, but nowadays everybody thinks their stuff is worth stuff, so nobody sells anything good anymore. Nowadays you go to a garage sale, all you find is children's clothes. Yeah, and and an old computer monitor. Now being a parent, those children's clothes garage sales the best but back in the day nobody wants that stuff so cheap but i agree back before all the collectible shows have been on tv you used to be able to go to a garage sale and find like you know transform like transformers and gi joe's and star wars toys and stuff really cool stuff back before ebay ruined it yes i mean ebay is really it ebay and collectible shows and things like that have kind of caused garage sales to for me i i don't even bother with them most of the time now it's just garbage. Yeah, it, it, it really is. I, I, you, you make a good point on that one. That you, I mean, and if you do find something good there, they're going to overprice it to the point where it's like, yours. It's a garage sale. I have twenty bucks on me. Mm. I don't have more money than that. I plan on spending twenty dollars and getting a carload of stuff. Like I am not buying your expensive stuff. I, uh, do you ever go to those garage sales and the, the prices are outlandish? And you're like, who is coming here with the money to buy your crap? I usually walk up, I take one scan, I see tables and tables of baby clothes. Yeah. I see a box of like... That's the reason why if you're doing... I learned it last year when, uh, because I have a 10-month-old, that if you're going to do that garage sale with the baby clothes, that's fine. Market it as that. Because that's where Martha, my my wife and I, would we pre-bought baby clothes. Because we bought tons of clothes for no money, because baby clothes are insanely expensive. And the ones we would go to are the ones that literally say... This come here for one reason. Are you are you having a boy? Come to our garage sale. That's our garage sale. It's like that good. Then you know what? Nobody else has to go to it. Yeah, only people with there. only people with that mission. Like <laughs> I I wouldn't be there either if it wasn't until last year. But I, yeah, um, I think the other. So I already talked super soakers. Um, 
um, outside of taking blank cassettes and putting them in my radio and recording uh, yeah. uh, music. That was, it, that's on my list too. I loved that. And then every song had the overlay of like 33 seconds from the DJ because you're there with your finger on the button. You're right. like, this song needs to start. Or the song ended early because the DJ is like, all right, we're here. And it's the outro. And yeah. so you have the outro with the D. I love it. But when a new song would come out on the radio and it was like the hot new song and you were waiting all day yeah. for them to play it so you could record it. Yeah. But once you had it, you could, you had it, you had it. Yep. Another one was worse too. Cause those cassettes only held like what? Four or five songs on each side. So you had to time it with, you know, once you had your last song, you had to figure out, you're like, okay, I think I have about three minutes of cassette tape left. So it doesn't cut the song off at the end. And every song at the end of your cassette was always never the full song because like it couldn't fit. I yeah. love that. Go, sticking with the cassettes, this is a great story. I've told this to my friends before. So I was, John and I are, I'm a little younger than John. And uh, so uh, when I was, uh, it was late 90s, but uh, now that's what I call music came out. And of course, those are now joke things. But the first one came out in like 90, I think it was in fourth grade. And, uh, um, and that was right when CDs were coming in, you know, they were expensive, but they were like the thing you should own. I had it on cassette. I took it to show and tell fourth <laughs> grade. I had that. Now that's what I call music. First one had Barbie girl on it. So I remember that because I even remember as a kid going, it's a bad song. This is so bad. <laughs> but yeah, I took it to show. That was my show and tell. I remember pulling it out of my pocket. Like it was a gun, like gunslinger. I'm like, Oh yeah. <laughs> Look at my now. That's what I call music. And I remember feeling great about it. It was the best. two weeks later. My buddy, I remember name was Blaine brought the CD into class. And I was like, all right, I'm not cool anymore. Cause he has the CD of it. But I remember that. But then you got now that's what I call music too. I got, <laughs> I remember owning one through six. <laughs> Those are the ones I, I owned. And then I stopped. I, they're up to like 50 now. Right. They still come out with those things. Yeah. Come on. All right. That's what I have. They got to do a reboot. <laughs> Um, MTV, remember they used to show music videos? Yeah, yeah, I miss that. Yeah. I remember, and I also miss, like, my sister's 10 years older than me, so I miss watching Real World back with her. Back when it was just people in the house, and it wasn't absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it was ridiculous, but it wasn't as ridiculous. Yeah. And TV back in the 90s, um, it used to be an event when something would, like, be shown on TV. Because now, I mean, now you can stream everything, you can find everything on demand. But it used to be a big deal if, like, a certain movie was going to show, like, um, you know, Jurassic Park or something would be premiering on TV for the first time. Gosh, remember, they would play those previews for weeks. Friday, January 19th, yeah. the debut, television debut, yeah. Jurassic Park. And then everybody in town would be watching it. That's it was crazy. like an event. Yeah. You know, you'd talk to your friend the next day, did you watch Jurassic Park? Yeah. You know, it was like, it felt like everybody was kind of like, it was a, it was a shared experience when something was on TV. I kind of miss that. I, I miss that. That's a good one. Christmas specials and things. It used to be a big deal. You know, you had to be there in front of the TV um, in time for it to come on. And if you got up to go to the bathroom and you came back, you know, you went during the commercial. But then Oh, absolutely. You'd come running back because you heard it was on again. Yeah. And you'd be missing part of it. Now, people don't appreciate that. And you know. You can just pause everything. And, and you, you know when DVR. you were watching Jurassic Park, uh, then, you know, because they would always reshow it right after. You know, because it'd be like eight o'clock Jurassic Park, but at ten thirty, that Jurassic Park was showing again. The second time around, you had the VHS player ready with a blank tape, <laughs> and you're like, "Here we go." And my mom was one of the moms that she sat with that, and she would stop it during the commercials because she's like, "I am not going to 
forward through fast forward through all these commercials every time I watch this, this movie. So, and again, just like the cassettes, Jurassic Park, and then boom, it would clip out, and then you'd catch like two seconds of the last commercial, and then it would clip to the next. I love that. That makes me happy thinking about stuff like that. Um, and uh, you, so I'm going to go towards. I have a couple other things. I'm going to go towards like some random kid uh, foods. Sure. Uh, Bubblegum tape. Yep. Which was the best, and Dunkaroos. Those are my two. Th- remember those? I don't know if I know. Remember the Dunkaroos? They were the kangaroos. They they come in the little like you know like the cheese and cracker things. Yeah. And it was confetti frosting nice. as the dip. Oh my gosh, those were my jam <laughs> in the nineties. That and uh, bubblegum tape and Big League Chew. Big League Chew, I was gonna say. And then the jerky that came in the snuff can. Yep. Why is that a thing? Even it's still there today. Like one time I'll go to a gas station. Candy I'm like, cigarettes. Too. Candy cigarettes. I I still go to a gas station. I'm like, why are they still selling big? The shredded beef jerky in, in the snuff cans. I'm like, that's such a bad image. I'm like, how is this the thing still? Um, but yeah, those are my couple like kid things. And then the juice that came in the barrels. Remember yep. that with the tinfoil top? Oh, we saw those. <laughs> I think they still exist. Yeah, they do. We just saw them the other day at a store, and I was kind of making fun of them because oh. you used to cut your lip up on the plastic. Totally. The best was. Uh, Doug Super Fair Foods in in our town, which is now where our dealership a dealership is. I, I'll never forget it as a kid. Every time I went in, it was four for a dollar of the barrels, and they had them all in an assortment in a barrel, and you could pick whatever flavors you wanted instead of buying the pack. I was like, that was like my treat. I was like, spend a couple dollars. I need as many colors of barrels as I physically can. <laughs> Great '90s memory right there. Sure. Um. I miss uh, Saturday Night Live. They used to have the best cast back in the 90s. Yeah, I still love Saturday Night Live, but the 90s was always the 90s, it's always their best cast. I think that was their best cast. Yeah. I mean, it was it was Mike Myers, Dana Carvey, um, Chris Farley, Adam Sandler. Yeah. David Spade. David Spade. Norm McDonald. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Miller. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Even in the late 90s, too. The transition was still decent. With like Will Will Ferrell was the late nineties mm-hmm. with the transition and Sherry O'Terry and Molly Shannon and the nineties overall was solid stuff. Yeah, there's some good ones in that cast too. But for me, uh, Mike Myers and, and and that whole gang, nothing better. They've never been able to come close to that. Yeah, I don't think so either. It's been good. I mean, a lot of people probably older than us would still uh, love the eighties, uh, early eighties crew, but maybe. But for me, it was the nineties. Um, the eighties was kind of before my time. So. Right. But um, I remember, for whatever reason, Saturday Night Live used to come on at 10.30 Central on one channel, and then 11 o'clock on a different channel. And I would always watch it at 10.30, and if there was a really good sketch... You'd switch over? I'd switch over, and I'd get the tape ready, sure. and I'd record it. And That's I great. had tapes of all the best sketches. I had all the Adam Sandler holiday songs, like uh, Red Hooded Sweatshirt. Right. The St. Patty's Day song where he dressed up as Bono. Sure. The oh, yeah. Thanksgiving good. song. I mean, I could go on and on. I was a big Church Lady fan, personally. The Church Lady was so funny. Dana Carvey. Oh, man. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I miss that old SNL. I still love SNL. I, I, I never stopped watching it, but yeah, that stuff was great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, how many more you got? I got a few here. Oh, you're, you're all into it. I, I am, man. I mean, if I had to go, and it, I guess the one video game I missed out, the one that really mattered in my childhood, like outside of just the N64 console, um, was, well, I guess, the 90s arcades were the mm-hmm. best. I loved arcades. 
Um, and I was uh, Mortal Kombat on the old big old arcade machine. Yep. And that was my spot to be when I went to arcade. I mean, I was Johnny Cage. It was a $500 sunglasses, asshole. And that's all I think about every time I play Mortal Kombat is the movie, which was a great 90s movie. Still, personally, the best Mortal, uh, video game movie that I've ever seen. I don't know if I go that. I think so. I think it's still spectacular because it's bad, but it's great at the same time. I remember when Mortal Kombat 2 came out, and I thought the that graphics was, were so amazing. They I'm were. Like, they'll never be able to top this. <laughs> they would never. It was the greatest. I thought. I remember when Trilogy came out on the PlayStation. That was when they they went all out with the characters. That was the that was the game where they're like, all right, we have like twelve characters, which are fine. You know, what we should have like 35 and they just that was when they but were how like, many of them are just different colors of the same oh yeah, like shiva which is goro just a woman like <laughs> and then they then they're like well, re- the reptile ninjas, smoke yeah. uh, all of them came out and then the right. cyborgs came out yeah. where there's three cyborgs it's yeah. like it's just the, it's the same character just different color pretty much yeah they do a lot of that because the cartridge only holds so much memory but still but yeah. great stuff i'll just rattle right off rattle off i got i got one last thing that's a um, putting pennies on the train tracks. You ever do that? Sure. That you never found the penny after. Sometimes you did. Oh, I would find some of them. I had a few. Um, and then here's one that I, I'm pretty sure is a '90s thing. It's a new McDonald's opening up. Now, <laughs> now they're ubiquitous. They're in every town. They've, I think, conquered the world at this point. But back in the '90s, it was a big deal when a new McDonald's was coming to your area. That was exciting stuff. You don't remember that? Dustin? No, I, I think I was a little too young for the McDonald's. I think McDonald's by by I, I think they were already still. I think they were there for really? me. Yeah, I think I remember that was a big deal. A big deal. Yeah, I think all the McDonald's were pretty much in place when I was there. Sure, and then well, uh, now they certainly are. Oh yeah, and then uh, I don't know if you have anything else. My my last thing is because again, uh, you'll just learn over the next bajillion episodes that I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. Uh, in the '90s, uh, read the Hitman Heart which who is still my favorite wrestler of all time was the man from uh, about 92 to 97. So can't skip the nineties without saying the guy that I loved to death and still do, uh, was the five years of my life nonstop of watching Bret Hart be awesome in WWF. So nice. That's my nineties right there. Yeah. If you're listening, um, comment uh, below and let us know your favorite. Yeah, and let us know your 90s memories. We like to hear, because there's so many I'm sure we don't think about. And yeah. Jesus, this was quick. We could do five hours on the 90s. But, right. Um, we're a movie podcast. We still wanted to, we wanted to sidetrack a little and talk about fun. You know, so the 90s movie, I saw outside of Mortal Kombat, the one that I remember, and again, it's, I'm thinking it was a kid uh, that I loved. And I still do, just because, you know, there's some some movies that I don't care if they're good or not when you're a kid. You loved them, so you can love them forever. Was uh, Ace Ventura, When Nature oh, yeah. Calls, the second oh, one. Oh, the second one. Oh, God. I, so, again, uh, our age difference here, but uh, I remember being in the theater. I, I think it would have been, the, it's the first memory I have of being in a movie theater. Really? Um, yeah. Well, I was born in 89, so that movie was probably 94, somewhere in there, so I was probably five. And uh, my mom, should she have taken me? That's debatable. Um, but that part where uh, the guy stands up in front, that's funny too, but the guy stands up in front of the screen and he makes the hand gestures like on his nipples and stuff. Yeah. It's not even an important part. Uh, my mom still tells the story to this day. She goes, "You, I was so enthralled by being in a movie theater, I didn't sit by her. I sat in the front row because I wanted to screen, you know, as big as I could get it. And she said there's like 10 people in the theater. And she's like, they all were just laughing at you 
because you thought everything was just hilarious, but you weren't being annoying about it. You were just openly laughing, so they couldn't be mad at you for just laughing. And she goes, it was just funny. I'd look around, and they're just like, who is this kid? And you just you laughed. You just couldn't stop. And you probably had no idea why, but you just thought it was hilarious. So I always, that movie always, I mean, I love both of them, but uh, that movie is a special place just because of, just because of that. Even though it's not good. I rewatched a couple, couple years ago and I'm like, oof. It's okay. Not great. The stuff. first one's good though. The first one's a classic. First one has Cannibal Corpse in it. It's my favorite part. Is that a band? Death metal band. Remember he goes to that death metal club in right. the first one? Yeah. Cannibal Corpse is uh, in the death metal world, like one of the top metal bands and that was a big thing for him to be on that okay. i guess jim carrey uh there's an outtake if you watch dvds there's a deleted scene where he goes up on stage and moshes with him and stuff um and it, he he randomly showed up to one of their shows about five years ago it was the first time he'd, he'd thought about it since and he was in their neighborhood so he showed up and they were like oh my gosh it's jim carrey he's <laughs> like i still love you guys he's like he said every couple of years he just listens to him just because he had so much fun shooting that day because mm-hmm. He's like, I don't listen to this. He's like, but this was ridiculous and super fun. So, side note. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what else did you watch this week? What else should we uh, talk about? I have a couple things of just random because I'm doing a bunch of doing cramming until we have our best of the year list next week. So, I've just been slamming movies down. I watched a documentary on Bill Murray. It's on Netflix. It's called something like Life Lessons from a from an extraordinary man or something okay. like that. I forget what it was called exactly, but it's, it's a Bill Murray thing. Um, I'm a big Bill Murray fan. I didn't know what it was. I clicked on it cause it said Bill Murray. Sure. I had to see it. But, um, apparently there's all these urban legends about Bill Murray just showing up in people's lives, just kind of like showing up at house parties or just doing, just doing weird stuff. Um, did it cover any of the chive stuff? Chive. Yeah, you remember that, you know, uh, that uh, Chive's still a thing, but it was huge, like, 15 years, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, Like, keep calm, Chive on. That was their big saying. And they used Bill Murray's face for so much publicity. And I don't, I just have no idea how that came about. So I just thought maybe it was included, so it must not be. That was not. Okay. Um, Are you talking about that? It's a website, right? Like, Chive.com is, like, a website, and they used to do, like, funny... I don't know what they do anymore. I never was into it, but I had a buddy who just like lived on Chive like 10 years ago when I was in uh, college. I know that that image of Bill Murray wearing like a suit and tie. Yeah, that, that, they use that image like crazy. They bootlegged that. Oh, I'm sure. They didn't have his permission. Yeah, yeah. but they, uh, man, for as famous as they got, they had to have gotten something later because they still used it. They had so many t-shirts and stuff. I just thought that'd be part of it, but keep going. Sorry. Yeah, no, they didn't talk about that at all, but, um, like they they interviewed some different people. Like um, the the one kid was having a house party, and Bill Murray showed up there. And is that the whole thing? Is just like him just appearing places? Is like kind of yeah. They've got like footage of the incidences because obviously people whipped out their cell phones and took pictures and cardio and stuff. And then they have interviews with the people that were involved. Um, but yeah, Bill Murray showed up. He's like playing tambourine, um, with the band or whatever. Sure. Um. I think my favorite one though is one that Bill actually told himself at when he was at he was at like a, a convention or something and he, he told he told a story about how he um, he was taking a taxi cab ride somewhere it was gonna be kind of a long trip and he was talking to the driver and the driver was had mentioned that he plays a saxophone but he but he works long hours he works like fourteen hour days so he doesn't really have a lot of time to practice 
And Bill was like, well, where's your saxophone now? And he goes, it's in the trunk. Bill's like, well, I know how to drive a car. So <laughs> uh, that's awesome. <laughs> they, switch, they switch spots and uh, Bill Murray drives the, the taxi. Interesting. While the guy practices. The that's cool. The taxi, so. Yeah. Wouldn't you love to be that like person? Like, yeah. I mean, cause Bill Murray's one of, is a celebrity who is beloved. Mm-hmm. People don't dislike Bill Murray. Even if like, you know, uh, like you're either a huge fan, even if you're not a fan, like, I mean, like, uh, you know, you're a really big fan. I'm fine on Bill Murray, but I know that he's, he's not a guy that people dislike that you could just do things just because you're who you are. Like just, but oh, I'm just going to show up to this house party and it'll be funny because I'm going to play a tambourine. Right. But it's cool that he does it. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's people, probably got the, people forget that these are people too. Like famous celebrities are still just human beings. Yeah. Um, they, when you're, when you're somebody like Bill Murray, when you're in that kind of position and you're, you're wealthy and you're successful, you can kind of do whatever you want. Right. It's kind of fun to just kind of, I think, dip into people's lives. And at one point he's doing somebody's dishes for him. He goes, you go enjoy the party. I'll do your dishes and stuff. <laughs> He's just washing their dishes, and it's like, you know, you or you and I might not enjoy having to wash dishes. That's because we have to, right? But because he's just popping in and he can if he feels like, right? It, it's probably kind of fun for him, right? But um, well, it seems like he's enjoying making other people's like lives better, just like being, having a small moment, right? I think like, yeah. he's like, I he's I think that's where he's getting his enjoyment out of it. He's like, I'm not only is he creating a moment of he can create those moments all day of. Oh, it's Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Like he can do that by walking to get coffee. But if he can create a little moment in someone's life, like the taxi cab or the, like where he's like, I'm doing something a little bit just to be like, this is easy for this person. It's like, I don't, I'm just Bill Murray. It's fine. I'll make this person happy by doing their dishes or, you know, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was a fun documentary. I didn't know any of this about him because I don't tend to follow people's personal lives off screen and stuff too sure. much. Uh, I've loved Bill Murray's movies. I mean, Groundhog Day is probably my one of my all-time favorite comedies. Um, but any anytime, anytime I see Bill Murray in something, I enjoy it. Sure. Uh, Lost in Translation. I don't think it's a great movie, but he makes it good. Sure. Um, I've just always loved his sense of humor. He's got kind of a unique sense of humor. So it was kind of neat to see this and see another side of him, a side I didn't know about, but it was really cool. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Maybe I'll have to check that out. So you said it's on Netflix for everybody. Yep. Everybody go see. Um, so again, it's the, it's the award season. So every movie that's out is a drama for people trying to win awards. Uh, so the couple that I want to point out, uh, one that wasn't that great that I I'm just interested in. Uh, and I want to tell people to not watch it because it's just not very good. Was that is the movie vice, which is, uh, the vice president Dick Cheney movie where Christian mm-hmm. Bale plays Dick Cheney. And, and it's, it has nothing to do with the politics of it. Cause who cares? That's not what you're not watching it for that. Um, so Dick Cheney plays or, uh, Christian Bale plays Dick Cheney. It's amazing to watch Christian Bale. Cause it's a flashback movie where, you know, you, you cut to like Dick Cheney going to college and it's Christian Bale the whole time. And I will give Christian Bale credit. I forgot it was Christian Bale at one point. I'm like, good job. A lot of good makeup aesthetics. Amy Adams plays his wife. She's great. But the problem here is, is this movie's a absolute slog to get through for two hours and ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam McKay is, I think, this is his new thing to direct movies uh, about recent, what's a good word, blemishes on American history. I would say, give him six years and he'll have the Trump movie ready to go. Um, 
Um, because he did a big short about the two thousand. Adam McKay. Yeah, isn't he the guy that uh, does a lot of Will Ferrell's movies? Yeah, he did other guys and uh, oh geez, Anchorman, I think. Yeah, Anchorman two and Anchorman. Yeah, but he did the big short a couple years ago. That was Christian Bale's uh, about the two thousand. I thought that was decent. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one is just, it's just not there, and it's it's one of the movies, and it's one of them Oscar bait movies that they're Oscar baiting it because um, we all know that Hollywood overall is really liberal. And this is obviously not that because it's about Dick Cheney. And I don't know. If you believe Dick Cheney is not a good guy, that's fine. But I mean, he's trying to hammer home that Dick Cheney might be the worst person that's ever walked to earth. Why, why exactly? Oh, uh, well, you know, Dick Cheney's the, everybody knows that he's pretty famous for being, you know, you know how like when Bill Clinton was in office, they said Hillary ran it. You know, um, just because it was his wife and she was pretty, uh, I think, out there a lot. Uh, when when W was in office, they say Dick Cheney ran the White House. And that's kind of what the movie is trying to prove here. That's the narrative, is that Dick Cheney didn't accept without having a bunch of stuff that no other vice president's been able to do. Like, he was blind CC'd on every single email that George Bush ever sent. Like, that's not, you can't do that. And, you know, that's why when Hillary's servers and emails came up, no offense, since the internet's been going since, you know, the early 90s, everybody's had email servers. Dick Cheney had a secret email server. It's just kind of how it works nowadays. Um, and he, so, like, there's, like, 4,000 deleted emails off that server that were high priority that they talk about. And, um, and, and again, it, it's kind of like, and I was going to talk about this movie a couple, of, a couple weeks ago, but I just didn't feel like the need to is First Man they're telling stories that people generally know, or if you don't know, you don't care. Like yeah, first man is the movie about, about, Oh, about Neil Armstrong with Ryan Gosling. Right. First man on the moon. Yeah. And, and that's a movie. And the first thing I texted John was, cause I was excited to watch that movie. I really was. And I was going to tell, I mean, my, my honest to God plan was I'm going to watch first man. I'm going to enjoy myself. And I'm going to tell John to watch it for the pod. That right. was my plan. Well, yeah. I didn't really have much interest in it because I just I feel like what is there to say? There's I mean, nothing. There is nothing. To it's say. great that they walked on the moon, but I mean, what what more is there to say? There's it? nothing there, and, and that's where I got with Vice too. It's like, okay, you Christian Bale gained a lot of weight and put on a a, a mask. Cool. But Sam Rockwell does a really good George W. impression that he did on Broadway. So now let's put it in a movie. Cool. That's okay. That's fine. And the first man is that. Oh. John and there's a because we generally don't talk about bad movies on here. And I think a lot of people love are gonna like First Man, but I, that was my first thought when I watched it. I was like, "What are you telling me here? The Mission on the Moon is like one of the top ten most famous things probably to ever happen in the United States history, especially in the last hundred years. What can you physically show me or tell? Because of course, you know they spend there's you know the the moment is you know they landed on the moon. Guess what's gonna happen? Bet you Neil Armstrong's going to step off, and you know what he's going to say. Like, that was the culmination. You're like... That's the end of the movie. Pretty much. D- yeah, I, I know. You told me the ending that I've known, and I understand... You know what? If you're going to do a movie about Neil Armstrong, you know what might have been a more interesting movie? Have that be the beginning of the movie, and then show what his life's like <laughs> after. after. Um, I would say the one part about the movie that was interesting, because it's the part... It's, the, it's his relationship with his wife being the astronaut wife. Um... That's good because he's, he is 100% all in on his work and, 
he's going to do all these things. And there's a part in the movie where uh, one of his buddies dies um, on the, oh gosh, I'll never remember. It's the one that doesn't even get off takeoff before it takes, uh, it was like Apollo 8 or something. Doesn't even get out of the air, blows up. Or gets out, you know, doesn't get out of the atmosphere, blows up. Like on live television kills everybody inside. So then that turns her into like, maybe you should stop because I don't want you to die and you have kids. So that is interesting, but that's it. And then there's like three scenes where he's in peril in a, in a ship and they're trying to tell you like, Oh, it could crash. No, no, it can't. I know the ending. Right. It's never going to crash. Like the movie starts off with him in pilot school and he's going through a major uh, sequence where the pilot, you know, he's going to crash. We know he's not, he's not going to crash because I know he's not going to crash. So it's not that interesting. So it's, it's weird. And I had the same thing with vice too. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see if anybody out there watches either one of them and completely disagrees with me. Again, did comment, he, let us know. Did but, Neil Armstrong go on additional missions after that? Or? Uh, I don't believe so. I think that was it. That was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because up to that point, uh, he had already been in NASA for a long time. I mean, he was originally scheduled, and again, I, I it's been a month since I've watched it. He was originally scheduled to go on a mission before the Apollo missions in like 61 which is like seven years before. And then he just kept getting put because it's NASA and stuff happens and he was supposed to go there and he couldn't go there. And then like, so he, he, it was a long time coming for what he wanted to do. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Ryan Gosling's good, but sure. He didn't have to do much. You know, they kind of show Neil Armstrong's kind of an introvert kind of, um, you know, a loner that just wants to do space stuff. So, Turns out he was right and his wife was wrong because yeah. he got to be the first man on the moon, moon which is pretty awesome. So good yeah, for him. He'll be that forever. And then, of course, you had to have this. I, I love space movies. I really do. I love stuff in outer space. It, it gets me. It's one of the genres that I enjoy. How many more times can you watch a movie where the people in the control room on Earth are smoking cigarettes, running from the computer computer, throwing papers at each other, and watching the big screen and talking to the... It's just every movie. And it's like, you can't make this different or interesting ever because well, it's, it's got to be accurate. It's the same thing. Oh my gosh. Even in ones that aren't real, <laughs> like the movies that aren't real. Here's, here's the control control. Just fake it. Give me a new, I don't know. And like every time they cut to that, I'm like, I'm done with this scene. That's just small things. Well, I assume they recreated the actual. Oh, I'm sure they, and for a movie like that, it, it totally makes sense because it's based on fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but, in every movie like that, I, I get it. That's exactly how it is. The, the control rooms probably look and stuff, but mm-hmm. there's only so many ways you can shoot it and so many ways you can do it without it looking like the same thing every time. Yeah. Those are two movies that I was kind of excited to watch that I, uh, didn't enjoy that much that are getting a lot of attention right now. So, um, yeah, again, if anybody out there sees them and completely disagrees with me, let me know. Do you have anything else fun? I have a couple little ones, but no, you go ahead. Okay, I guess the two movies that are um, different, weird, and uh, kind of messed up, and they're not up John's alley, I don't think, uh, at all. Um, I did watch The Favorite, which is Yargos Lanthimos' new movie. He's the guy who did The Lobster and Killing of a Sacred Deer. Hated both of them. Yeah, and I liked I liked The Lobster a lot. Um, Killing of a Sacred Deer I'm fine with. It's I, I, all right. Give a a description of the the movies for those. Oh, yeah. So I guess a lobster you can watch on Netflix right now. Um, It's set in a somewhat 
futuristic uh, apocalyptic situation where, <coughs> I, again, I think you watched parts of it just because I told you to. I watched it all. Did thing. you watch the whole thing? I suffered through the whole thing. Um, it's Colin Farrell, and I think you have to the age of 35 or 40 to get married, right? What age is it? It's somewhere in there. But if you're single, it's basically like a crime. Yeah, it's if you're single, it's a crime. So if you're within two months of this age, they pretty much send you to this facility, and they're forcing you to find a wife. But it has to be real, which is the weird part. And uh, and if it's not, they're going to turn you into an animal. You get to pick your animal. But you get to pick it. And he chooses a lobster for two reasons. One, it lives forever, and it never stops having sex. It's the reason why he chooses lobster. Everybody, most people choose their dogs. Who doesn't want to be a dog? But he's like, why? That's dumb, because dogs only live like 10 years. But the, the one cool part, the part about, about the movie I like is you you forget and realize that all the animals in the movies are people. And that's kind of, the, like, the, it opens up with somebody shooting, like, a donkey or something. I remember that. And then once you get in the movie, you're like, well, that wasn't nice. Like, that was someone. Um, but then, it, and the thing about Lanthimos' movies are, um, is like two thirds of the way in, he completely shifts, and the lobster does that. They escape from this facility, and it shifts into this like practically another movie with Rachel Weisz. Equally boring though. I, I I didn't think I thought the first half of the lobster is super interesting when they're in the building. I think the way Lanthimos does dialogue is fun and interesting because it's different. But then Killing of the Sacred Deer is Colin Farrell again, um, and. Uh, he is a doctor, right? And he ends up, because uh, uh, again, I, I didn't like it as much. Um, and he ends up killing, he killed someone, right? A, Accidentally. A, a patient dies. Dies under his yeah. control. And then the patient's kid comes. He's probably, what, mid-teens? Yeah. Pretty much befriends Colin Farrell's doctor character and then kind of terrorizes his life to the point where bad stuff is going to happen to the family. Yeah, the... The children in Colin Farrell's family start getting sick, and the that's right. The kid basically says, "Look, um, I'm going to give you an ultimatum. Um, I have the cure for them, but I'm only going to give it to you if you kill somebody in your family." Yeah, he, that's it. That's he basically says, "I want you to feel the pain that you caused right. me." Right. Uh, so you're gonna lose a member of your family. Yep. Um, Which culminates to, again, it's, it's again, it's Lanthimos' problem. And it's the same problem I have with this movie. It, I was semi interested that again, that movie I wasn't as interested in for the first like half. And then it kind of swerves and turns to something that's less. For me, it it seemed intriguing at first. I I didn't know, you know, at first you don't know what's going on or you don't, but once you kind of figure out what's going on, it's just like, really, this is nonsense. Yeah. And then then the culmination is nonsense as well. And like, I almost would have liked it if they stayed on what they were doing, but then it kind of culminates into a a more nonsensical ending. So they're both weird movies and he's done a couple movies before this. Um, There's a movie called dog tooth that was nominated for Academy award and uh, for foreign film. And it's, it's it's about a family in a house and it's practically the same weird stuff. And he's known for dry, different dialogue. Like the movies are nobody has personalities. Lobster, especially and Sacred Deer, it's just the most monotone. Like Killing a Sacred Deer is the most monotone movie. Like the colors are monotone. Everything's like gray and white, and like there's nothing there. Yeah, it was boring. And that's what he. Yeah, and some people do find it. And I I find it at least interesting enough because it's different. But the favorite's a little 
it's definitely his most Hollywood-style movie, and uh, um, it's about Queen Anne, who's played by uh, uh, Olivia Coleman, who is winning awards for it, because she's uh, pretty spectacular. And it's Rachel Weisz, who is Queen Mary, and then Emma Stone is a girl who comes into this uh, castle in England and uh, is, a, is a servant, and then works her way up. And it's pretty much just a huge power struggle that what Lanthimos has done is taken the most basic story that you've seen a bajillion times where a jilted lover, cause they're all lovers. Um, one has the power. The new one comes in. New one wants to take the power. And the one that they love is liking both of it because it's making them feel good. And Lanthimos has taken a basic story and put it in England and with some amazing costumes and a gorgeous set and kind of told that same movie. So that's kind of why it's kind of fine. Yeah, it looks good. I, they look, they look. Good. The one part I liked about it is Queen. Uh, the Queen in the movie is getting sick throughout the movie, and they never talk about it. Like it was that kid again. <laughs> it, honestly, that was the same thought I had. Was I'm like the kids get him, kids get her, because <laughs> like you know you can tell they'll flash forward a little bit. And she's slowly sicker. By the end of the movie, she can really stand. Her face is melting, like melting off. It looks like she's had a huge stroke. What? Yeah, not melt. You get. I mean, it's like falling. Gravity is taking okay. a hold of her. And uh, and they have not mentioned one time why she is dying in front of her eyes, which I think is interesting. I'm like, that's kind of fun. Um, but she, you know, it's pretty much three. I'm um, really good performances by three actresses that I like in a movie that's seem to be super out there when it's really not. So it's different, weird. Um, again, not up your alley. No. And then the other one I watched, it's definitely not up John's alley because he hates stuff like this after we talked to 22 July. Um, Cause this is, uh, it's called the house that Jack built. It's Lars von Trier's new movie. Um, Lars von Trier is known to make really weirder stuff than Yargos Lanthimos does. What are um, some of Lars von Trier's movies? Uh, I know his name. Yeah, it's uh, so the last few that he's been popular with um, are Melancholia with Kirsten oh, Dunst. No. Yeah. Did you watch that? It was bad. Painfully bad. It was, I like, again, I like weird. So it was weird and I enjoyed some of it, but it was. What's that one? It's about? a tough, to describe Oh gosh, I'd have to rewatch it. Because even 10 years ago, I could barely describe it because it's messed up. It's completely incomprehensible. That it is. It happens. It's, it is incomprehensible. It's basically about. The end of the world. That's it. But that's pretty much all that happens. The whole movie is... You're pretty much waiting for the end of the world, yeah. which is kind of like watching that movie because it felt like it was going to be the end of the world because oh, yeah. it lasts forever. Yeah, it's yeah. bad. It, I like Kirsten Dunst, and I, again, I like Weird, so I wasn't... I didn't hate it, but it was tough, and I totally understand. Um, but then he did uh, he did Antichrist a couple years after that. That was Willem Dafoe in one really messed up sadistic movie. And then he did Nymphomaniac a couple years ago, that two-part uh, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, if it was real, movie, um, which is like, I think it was about four and a half hours long. My wife and I watched it. Um, it was actually a really good four hours and 27 minutes until he ruined an entire four and a half hour movie with a minute and a half ending. Really? Yeah. yeah. I don't. It's my number one movie ever that was completely destroyed by an ending. The... The, that movie I remember was kind of notorious because of all the sex scenes in it. Correct. Yeah. There's a lot of well-known actors in it. Correct. But I believe they used he. The uh, it was a uh, uh, Transformers guy. Michael the, Bay. No, 
the lead lead actor in the first ones, first three. Oh, um, uh, oh my god, what is that? <laughs> the kid <laughs> so from, bad, yeah. Disturbia. Oh my gosh, oh, that's embarrassing. He's though. in it. Yeah, he's in Nymphomania. He's yeah, and he's the one who uses the prosthetic because he's I think because because he is a pretty big name actor. Um, but uh, no, there's do some, they use some computer generated imagery for some of their bodies or something. Uh, for uh, no, they use porn stars and they don't show. Shoot, okay, so they, they don't shoot those. the actors' heads. No, they just shoot around it. They edit around it. Oh, I thought I heard that they did something weird. Like with no, that's not that's not this movie. They definitely don't have any type of budget or stuff for that. But they okay, so they, they shot they shot porn stars for the sex scenes. Yep, and then they cut to cut to the actors and stuff. Yeah, okay. and uh, I mean, there's a couple times where the lead actress. Uh, she 100% does some things in there. I mean, it's there. There's no way you're faking it because I see a camera on your face doing it. What's, um, the, what's the plot? I mean, it's a that's, four and a half hours. Yeah, it's a two part. Uh, so the plot is, is she uh, stops into Stellan Skargar's apartment. He finds her in the road and he tells the movie and she tells the story to him of her life in like six different parts. And each part is her learning that she's an infomaniac pretty much. And which means she's addicted to sex and it's of her evolving into all the different sex that she's, uh, into Shia LaBeouf. Jeez. Yeah. So the first half of the movie is about her relationship with Shia LaBeouf, but she's still like, there's a part where she's like on a train and she just goes around and starts doing stuff to whoever she sees. And then there's like a part later where it's 50 shades of gray, like where it's super bondage, but it's not 50 shades of gray bondage. It's like, you know, if somebody actually roped you and hogtied you to a couch and left you there for a day, like that's what she gets gets into, and it's her telling these stories, and he associates each story with the everyday daily life routine. Like there's this part where he talks to her, he's like, "That sounds like fly fishing." This is a large frontier thing because fly fishing even shows up in House of Jackville because that's what he does. Um, and then so all that happens, and it's 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 interesting enough. It really is. Like uh, I, uh, it sounds I, like it's basically the whole point of the movie is to show you a bunch of sex scenes. No, it's not. That's not right. In four and a half hours. It's not like. It's not two hours of sex scenes. It's random sex scenes here and there. But there's more parts of, to her life than that. But yeah, of course, that's part of it. I mean, if it's a movie about somebody who's an info, it's probably going to be a chunk here and there. But it, it's not. they're not doing it just to do it. There's points behind each one. But then again, uh, the last minute is, I can't believe it. It's terrible. They just ruin everything. Go ahead and say it. Uh, yeah, because nobody... You can skip past if you really Yeah, if you really spot, care, but it's... Like I'm just really... Seconds. I'm really curious to know how a, a four-hour movie that's filled with sex scenes... So the whole point is her pretty much proving that she uh, she doesn't trust a single man. And this one guy who took her into the apartment for this night cares about her. And has learned, has talked to her, like, love, like gets it, wants to help her out. And he's older. Um, she wakes up in the middle of the night and he's masturbating on top of her. And then you learn that he's just like everyone else, and she leaves the apartment. Ugh. I know. Ugh. All I, men are pigs. Ugh. Me and my me and my wife Martha, we were just like, how dumb. Like you, he literally he realized he's he had no ending. So and it just killed everything. Wait, wait a minute. The whole point we just watched this for so long, and the whole point was this guy is a saving grace that there's something out there, and he of course just ruins it. And it was like. Ugh. What a weak way Dustin, out. all men are the devil. That is exactly the point. And, oh, uh, God. But so, swooping all the way around, House of Jack built Matt Dillon, and he's a serial killer 
who I bet he's happy to be working again. Yeah, right. When's the last time you saw Matt Dillon and something? That was my 80s, first. That was 90s. my first thought. <laughs> Crash. Maybe. Yeah. Gosh, I know that was my first thought when I saw it. I was like, Oh, Matt Dillon. I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. Um. So he plays this guy Jack. Um. Was, and the reason why he gets the name is because he's a he's an OCD architect. And he wants to build a house, and he keeps destroying the house because he doesn't like how it's being built. Um, and he's talking to somebody. Like it sounds like he's talking to somebody through letters, like he's in jail because he's talking after the fact. And so he's like, "I'm going to tell you about the five times that I feel like uh, embody my murder spree." It's. I think he decides that he's killed sixty people or something. So pretty much, you just get five different stories of this. And the first one's like it's Uma Thurman actually. Uh, in a really small, short spot um, where she's on the side of the road. It's the first person he kills. And she's kind of antagonizing him, like that he kind of reminds her of a serial killer. Like her car's broke down. It's in the 60s. And he's really weird. Oh, a serial killer who's weird. Who would have thought? And she's like, you, you you should help me and take me into town. And he's like, okay, I'll take you into town. And he won't talk to her. She's like, gosh, you kind of are like a serial killer. You know what? You, which is a little too on the nose at points. And uh, so finally he hits her right in the face with the tire iron and just destroys her and kills her. And then it goes on, and then it's the next one of how, which is probably the most interesting one, he kind of goes up to somebody's house, an old woman, breaks in. They have a really awkward, like, three or four minute conversation about how he's going to get in the house. She's not letting him in. And uh, it's it's kind it's super creepy. And the whole movie's creepy, because that's what you're watching. And kills her and stuff, and he cleans the apartment. This is where OCD kicks in. He starts. He gets in his truck and he starts thinking of like he lifts up a like he's thinking in his head of like did he clean it right? And he like lifts up a lamp and there's just blood everywhere. Like it can't be like that, but in his head that's what he's thinking. He's like, oh, I got. So he goes back in multiple times and keeps cleaning the house. That one's like the most interesting part. I was like, that's kind of clever. I get it. And then it's then it turns into him wanting to get caught. Like he tells the cops exactly how a murderer would have done it. And he's like, why wouldn't I, why are you not catching me? I'm literally like, so, and then it has the part where immediately when I saw it, I was like, oh, John, this is where he would check out of this movie. I'm like, I think you would have been there at this point. So far, it seems intriguing enough. Until the third one where he takes a girlfriend who has two kids and they go to a shooting range and he takes all three of them out and they show it all. And it's pretty rough. It's not good at all. And after 22 July, it's very similar to that. And, you know, he's very sadistic. And then the fourth one's with him and his next girlfriend. And then the ending is um, him building another house while doing some other weird stuff. And this is where he gets pretty much caught. And then it ends with a very melancholia type ending that does not like take melancholy and shove it to the last 15 minutes of this movie. And he does that. And you figure out who he's been talking to the whole time. And it goes way off the reality rails into something completely different. So, which is weird. So it's, it's interesting. It's two and a half hours. So it's 30 minutes too long. Mm -hmm. um, the ending I actually didn't dislike because of the out, out there nature of the ending. Um, but yeah, some of the parts are, it's brutal and awkward. So I don't know. I don't know if that sounds like something. I mean, it is intriguing. I'll give it that. And of the movies we've talked about for this, this is definitely the most, even though it's the most probably brutal, it's probably the most watchable. For sure. So, yeah. maybe when it comes out on DVD or something, maybe we'll check it out. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been, I rented it on VOD. 
Okay. Just because I wanted to catch it. Just because I like Lars von Trier. He, he was, he's put out more movies in the last like 10 years than he did the first like 30 years he was directing. He was known because he would like make one movie and then he'd wait like 11 years and he'd put out the next one. But when he, when they, when they screened House of Jack built, I think at like Sundance or something, they said of like the, you know, thousand per- person theater, they said like 150 walked out midway through because they were just over it and sick of what he was doing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you guys realize kind of goes back to what me and you talk about all the time. You walked in there knowing like, you're not going to watch a Steven Spielberg movie. Oh, maybe they weren't familiar with his work. I mean, at a, at a film festival, you would think they would be. Yeah. Most of his films weren't real, real big. Though. Yeah. But, the, but, but film festival crowd is a little more, I don't know, in tune with weird stuff like that type of stuff. Like the Andy's anybody can buy a ticket. Yeah, that's true. But uh, I, and I think it was opening. It was the first showing of it. So, God, you would think if you're going to go in, you would think that you're uh, somewhat prepared. Even the program that you're buying the ticket to is going to tell you something about them. Yeah. But either way. So, but that was probably the most, uh, the, the movie I enjoyed the most of the random ones I've seen. I, again, I get to this point of the year and we'll talk next week when we go down our top 10 uh, movies of 2018. Um, that uh, um, I usually get really excited at this time of year because I'm blasting through movies because I want to catch them. And usually I find like, a handful of good ones. I'm like, oh, these are good. man. I'm having troubles with that this year. So, but I'll save that for next week. and We can talk more. But yeah, that's uh, I think that's it. Sorry, I talked a lot long at the end, but I, you know, uh, but we'll be back next week. Top ten movies of 2018. We're gonna put this year to bed. Yeah, we can finally give you some good ones. Yeah, we're gonna give you the full recommendations of the movies you should watch. It'll be interesting to see if we overlap at all. I'm guessing. I'm guessing if bit. maybe a little bit. I, I I have my current top ten right now, and I think we have one for sure that I think will overlap on. Maybe another one, um, but I do know there's a there's some. I'm sure there's some on both of our lists that neither of us have seen too. So we'll give you a lot of good recommendations because that's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. And then we'll move forward with what uh what else funs coming out. So okay, all right. I think that's it. Yeah. Thanks for listening. on your face and tell people you have chicken pox. Sometimes it's fun to make a castle out of pudding, chocolate or butterscotch. Then it's fun to take that pudding and rub it all over ex-mayor Koch. No doing beer bumps, no Jägermeister shooters, no headbutting your mom, no grabbing your cousin's hooter. <laughs> Don't get wasted, this ain't Patty's Day.